He's Wyatt with Creative Habits Podcast. Thanks a lot for listening. Hey, this week's really cool. I put together a review of about 11 different podcast guests. And each of these guests kind of give us a little bit of a hack into the creative world. And I think you'll really enjoy it. Um, each one of them you can continue to listen to if you want to give you links in the show notes to each of the full episodes. But uh, get a little bit of a glimpse of each one. And uh, just if you're a new listener, it's great because you get uh, kind of a variety pack, <laughs> so to speak, of, of previous episodes. And if you're um, you know, an older listener, it's good to kind of refresh and remind yourself of some of those ideas that uh, previous guests have had on the show. So hope you enjoy. Okay, this first quote is from Hakeem Bellamy. He's a journalist and poet. He has a snippet on allowing creative ideas to slowly come to the forefront. And so instead of thinking you have to have an idea in hand before you start a project... Start with research, and by immersing yourself in the research and knowing the idea, the quirky and unusual come out to play. Yeah, I feel like it's all poetry. You know, um, oftentimes because uh, you know I, I do journalism, I write I write a music column here, and I do a lot of freelance work. I do uh, essays and lots of blogging and things of that nature, and and I have you know, I've written a couple of plays or short plays and I just saw poetry. Like, I think I approach it all from the same, the same process, you know, uh, in the beginning, it doesn't, in the beginning when it's not fully formed, it doesn't present itself necessarily yet as a poem or even as a blog entry or as an essay. And then the more I like, you know, mess with the clay, it starts to appear. And then I'm like, okay, now I know what this is going to be. Now I need to figure out what to do with it, you know? And then, you know, my approach is often very similar. Like I'm very much a research writer. Uh, I get asked to write commission poems about things I know nothing about. And so I go back to being a journalist and I just immerse myself in, the inf- in, in homework and research until an awkward, weird, or obsessive idea comes out. And I'm like, hmm, I got to write that. So... Next one is from Alan Steinberg. He's a potter and counselor, and he has a snippet about making sure to kind of, you know, move beyond what's working as as an artist. You know, you can find yourself, or there's a temptation to do something that's successful over and over again. And when you do this, you kind of neglect a part of your creative soul just awaiting to be expressed. That there's just this other factor that has to be... um, allowed besides what pays the bills or sooner or later uh, you're going to die of what kept you going for a while right it's- you know, you're going to wind up with back aches and, and, and ankle pains because you've done the same activity over and over again you're going to wind up bored if you do the same thing over and over again because you've got pieces of you that aren't getting their chance to express themselves this next one's from Mark Gagne. He's an author and graphic artist. He has a snippet that mentions putting work out there much sooner so you feel critical feedback. And that criticism allows you to change what you create from being part of you, you know, like feedback is personal or too personal, to being a piece of creative work, meaning the feedback is related to the piece and not you. And, you know, it's, it's that transition that allows you to create, play, and explore creative boundaries and drive more effectively towards basically mastery of craft. I would tell I would tell myself as a kid to to just start doing work sooner. Like I didn't do anything professionally until after well after college. Um, 
you know, just throw, you know, start designing stuff and offering to do it, you know, just do, do work. You don't get better until you, you do it. And even you don't get better until you get criticized. So, well, and it would have put, I, I, I see what you're saying. Cause it, you would have, it would have forced you to really step up your game sooner. Yes. And yeah. you feel like you would have gotten to that place of like yes. mastery sooner. And especially, especially, and then everything I kind of is it's through the, the graphic design prism, but especially in design, when you're working for someone else and you're working that it's, it's not precious. Everything you do when you do for yourself, especially when you're a kid or a teenager, is precious. Like, this is the best drawing I've ever done, and everyone loves it. You're like, okay, well, it's not. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> you know, it's, it, maybe it's good, but, you know, if you're working when – you're, when I got the job at Teddy Bear and I started doing work for somebody else, and you, you, you have to develop that thick skin and you have to develop that objectivity – of looking at something through someone else's eyes. This next one is from Jay Noggle. He's a marketer and reseller, and he has a snippet talking about making technology personal. It's basically by incorporating apps, software, and online tools into your daily work, creative process. You're able to make it, you know, you're able to do a lot more. And until you make a conscious effort to incorporate them or make them personal, these tools just seem irrelevant when actually they can be doing a lot for you. A lot of people are not aware of specific technologies, especially for micro, hyper-local, small business. And so they're, miss they're missing the boat. And I realize that the reason that they don't know about these things or the reason that they don't implement is because to them, it doesn't solve any problem. It doesn't bring any value. It doesn't mean that it doesn't do those things. They're just not aware of the value that those things bring yet. So to me, you know, technology isn't relevant unless it's personal. It, it has to be implemented into your daily life, into your business life. And if it's not, it's not going to work. There's no, there's no point, right? But once it is personal and once you become a fan of you know, apps and platforms and, and all these things, you kind of get to the point where you can't live without them because they're extremely relevant. That's the difference. This next one is from Betsy Aber. She's a musician and she has a snippet talking about how ideas for songs come from external things that kind of tug at you. And it could just be a line someone says, something you read, and it makes you want to play and develop it as something more. And although the initial idea comes from outside, by playing with it, you incorporate and express it fully, adding, changing, and making it your own. No, the idea has to come from nowhere. It really does. The huh. essential idea has to come from nowhere. I, it's not. <laughs> I don't think I can create one. So uh, just even if it's just a line the heart responds to that line and I'll think, Oh, okay, that's a good idea. I think I'll try to develop that. And that's then, then the work starts, you know, taking it somewhere on a piece of paper and trying to just scratch words down and go get the, get the guitar out and think, okay, uh -huh, uh -huh, this will work. That'll work. No, that doesn't, you know, just try to get something that seems to, seems to flow with the the feel of the song. What do I want here? Do I want to, you know, do like, do I want a song that's going to be uh, a melodic kind of poignant waltzy thing with this? Oh, those lyrics kind of suggest something else to me. That suggests sort of a 
uh, a blues or a, an angry feeling, you know, I think I'll develop it in that area. Mm. So, but the, the an essential idea comes from, from outside. Okay, this next one is from Marshall Wagner. He's a painter, and he has a snippet talking about how creativity is in all of us, just waiting to come out. And by expressing yourself creatively, you release a valve inside, allowing that energy to flow. Energy to flow. And it's important to let that creative flow out and appreciate it in others rather than allowing TV and mass media to dominate. Well, my advice to everybody is that we all have creative energy, and we all use it differently. And some of us don't use it at all, but it's there. And uh, and it should be used, you know. It's like having a valve that uh, is closed all the time. If you open it up, the pressure is released a bit, and you can create something that you were very happy about. Um, you know, you don't have to be Da Vinci. You don't have to be Picasso. Just be yourself and, and see what uh, beauty you can make in this world. And learn to appreciate beauty, too, so... You know, when you're on the computer constantly or watching the tube constantly, um, you lose sight of uh, what life is about. Okay, this next one is from Sarah Bach. She's a potter and has a snippet reminding artists the importance of having a website to tell your story. Now, it's much easier for people to appreciate what you create when they know your story. And Sarah also provides a window into how to get artistic muscle memory from doing a hundred of a creative project. The repetition basically moves you through mistakes and allows for a solid core in the creative process to come through. I think that, you know, as a maker, people, they want to know your story. And it's hard sometimes to find that information. And I think sometimes as artists, we have a hard time putting ourselves out there. But I think that it really does help people understand who you are and where you're coming from and why you do what you do, you know, having a platform to really be able to go in depth and tell them about yourself. He said to me, he said, your first assignment is to make a hundred mugs, mugs with handles. I will go through and approve them. You know, if they're not up to snuff, you don't get to keep them. Um, and he's like, it might take you all summer, but this is what this is what you're going to need before you can make any other shapes. No bowls, no jars, nothing until you make these hundred mugs. And at first, I was really daunted. I, I just was not sure how I was going to do this. I mean, for somebody who'd only thrown maybe three or four pieces in you know my entire lifetime, it seemed like a big, a tall order. And it did. It took me all summer to make those mugs that you know, that's what I needed. I needed that. I needed to be, and you know, you, I probably ended up making 150, 200 mugs in order to get a hundred that were decent. Um, but it really gave me a lot of practice in pulling handles and trimming and, and it, it helps my throwing skills tremendously. And I actually recently in the summer had a friend do a um, hundred mug challenge and the challenge was to do a hundred mugs in a week. And in a week. Nice. Yes. And, um, and which was, you know, again, daunting and, but I, I managed to get them all thrown, trimmed and the handles on in about eight days. So I was, I was pretty happy with that. Okay. This next one is from Tucker, user experience designer, musician, podcaster, and he has a snippet about how, you know, ideas remain perfect while 
while they're in your head. Uh, but there comes a point when you want an idea to come out more than you want it to stay perfect. So by getting ideas out of your head, you know, and kind of letting them go, you let go of the perfection and are more creative. Um, Tucker also touches upon motivation to create what you enjoy versus what's popular with the particular audience or niche. As long as ideas are in my brain, they're perfect. <laughs> and they can be perfect forever as long as I never get them out. For the JARS project, to give myself permission to just let go of the perfection, it was because I wanted to see something completed more than I wanted to continue with a perfect idea in my brain. I have to decide, is am I up there performing for me so people think I'm awesome? Listen to this song that I wrote. Isn't Aren't these words clever? Isn't this story particularly touching or or right. am i am i up there so that the audience can have a great time what song do you want to hear do you want fast songs or slow songs did you want to be rowdy or quiet that and and for the most part i'm up there because i wrote these songs and i think they're cool and i want to share them with you so i want the audience to listen so it's it's kind of that these these songs are for me, but this performance is for you. If Okay, this next one is from Christian Marie Heron. She's a strategic storyteller and business coach, and she has a snippet about the imposter syndrome that uh, many creatives feel. And it's something like when you are naturally good at a craft, it's easier to think others have the same ability, leaving you empty when describing yourself as an expert. Kristen actually co-creates a natural narrative or story that highlights others' ability without the imposter syndrome. Story is critical to understanding anyone's journey. A lot of people suffer from the imposter syndrome where they feel like if something comes easily to them, for instance, writing comes easily to me, or if, say, someone's in the technology field and that comes easily to them, then there's this sensation of downplaying what it is that comes naturally to them. So I help them reframe that and say, no, that's, this is very unique. This is something that's you know, beautiful and unique to you. And here's how you should be highlighting it. And here's how it all fits together with who you are and what you do. Okay, this next one is Suresh Thakur. He's an author, public speaker, podcaster. And he's in snippet on knowing those moments when the creative process is a grind. You know, that old procrastination that creeps in everywhere. And when that happens, it's best to shift focus onto low-hanging fruit or easily accomplished tasks that get you into a completion mode. Uh, you then just basically move back to the main task and complete it easier than if you had to grind through it. There's a bad procrastination and a good procrastination. So the bad procrastination is when you, you don't do something and you just feel like, I don't know, it's some sort of emotional, like you're just, you just don't feel like motivated to do something, right? Then there's another type of procrastination where you want to do something, but you just, it just, when you start working on something, it just, it's like a grind, right? It just doesn't, you're not moving the, the ball any. You're just kind of going laterally in, this, in one direction, but you're not moving at all. And in those per times, I just, I stopped doing it because I don't want to waste. Um, as a software developer, I've also had this where you, people, you observe people that take a 15 minute task. 
and they just grind through it. And then next thing you know, they've spent six hours on that task and they say, Ooh, I'm productive. And I'm like, no, (laughs) you're not productive because productivity has to do with being efficient or effective. And what I do is to find something else that I need to get done. Maybe it's the second or third priority on my list. And I also always have low hanging fruit, things that are just really quickly done. And the reason is that I want to get that, I want to change my things that are happening in my mindset and mentality. What I want to do is continuously have get things done or have quick wins. And the reason is there's a thing called the Zagernik effect. And the Zagernik effect essentially is this. If you, if you can get quick wins like that continuously, you'll get momentum, right? So, and that momentum will just change your, uh, your chemicals, your, your, your dopamine and serotonin and such. And you'll just, that, that actually literally will change your mind. Nice. Um, but the opposite of the Zagarnik effect is true too. So if you actually go to work, if you have something at work that you've been working for, say like months on end, you're, and then you just switch over to a different task. You can never stop. You can't stop thinking about the, the tasks that aren't finished. So there's a little bit of a fine line. Like you want to get those quick wins. You want to get them out. But your mind, you're still going to be focused on the fact that you didn't write that, finish that article. But if you know those, if you know that, you can kind of hack it. And actually what I found is just having these little quick things that actually move the ball, but not necessarily on that pri- primary task. Eventually, you'll you'll hit that primary task, and it'll just it'll be finished in a lot less time. Okay, our last quote is from Angus Nelson. He's a public speaker, executive coach, and podcaster. He's a snippet on completing the work before you edit. And that's a common theme uh, with the creative process, and especially critical on first books or creative projects. Angus also talks about the importance of faces, spaces, and places, and each one of these influences the world of creative possibility. By expanding who you know, the places you go, and creative mediums, you exponentially expand creative potential. Being a creative um, is a very personal thing, right? Whether we are creating for an audience or we're creating ourselves, uh, we are our own worst critics. And one of the things I learned from doing my first book is that the whole element and point of it is just to get it written, not to get it right. And so for me, it's a matter of getting my ideas, my concept, and pouring my heart out onto a page and not self-editing in the process. Waiting till you've got the full thing to the end and then starting to chip away at your baby is the wise way to do it. Oftentimes when we're trying to create things in our self-editing, we become overly critical and we can't see objectively. And so, therefore, we start cutting off things we don't need to be cutting off or placing importance on things that aren't important. And so, what I've learned in that whole process is, A, you got to work. You got to get the work done, right? But B, is don't conflict the work by trying to correct it. Yeah. Let the organic nature of the creativity in and of itself both fuel you and um, and uh, build momentum to actually complete the work. You'll never be creative and carry momentum if you don't change what you already know and see. So it requires you to see different faces. If you hang out with the same people all the time, then you become stagnant of those who you hang around. 
But the moment you expose yourself to people who see the world differently, who may have opposing viewpoints, who have a different culture, a different language, a different food that they appreciate, all of a sudden you're exposed to creative process because in your mind, you create new concepts and constructs of how you see the world. That's why my mom told me, she's from New Zealand, she said, you know, growing up, get out there with a backpack and go see. Go see what else is out there. And so I did. That's faces. Spaces. If you're in one vertical, say you're a painter, and of course that can be you know, broken up into all sorts of watercolor, acrylic, or whatever, go take a look at where someone else works in music or in um, dance or in you know, what have you. Go and expose yourself to a different space. And I would even challenge you to go into the business world, to go into the marketing, into everything from, gosh, Watch what people are doing in Snapchat. Watch what they're doing on YouTube. Watch what they're doing on Vine. Like There are creators that are changing the game as we speak. People are getting more and more creative. Exposing yourself to that will help you see your own artistry in a different fashion. And then the third piece of that, in you got your, your faces, you got your spaces, and then it's the places. Don't work out of your studio exclusively. Get out into the park, into the library, into a, a coffee shop. It is the smells, it is the temperatures, the humidity, it is the wind on your face, it is the sun on your back. All of these things will increase endorphins and other neurological and scientific things going on inside your stimuli that cause you to see things differently. Faces, spaces, places. That gives you creativity. All right, that's it for this week's episode of the Creative Habits Podcast. Hope you enjoyed listening. And be sure to subscribe and iTunes or head over to creativehabitspodcast.com and sign up for the newsletter. Thanks a lot for listening.